0: You know, isn't it interesting to watch people uh, kind of grow into who they are and who they are now? There's that process uh, that we all go through. We call it, what is it, the awkward phase of life. Almost everybody has that point. But there's something about watching people transform from who they were to who they are now. Frederick Buchner once wrote that every age has produced fairy tales. Something inside us believes or wants to believe that the world as we know it is not the whole story. We long for the reenchantment of reality. And for this reason, we like to believe that death is not the end, that the universe is something more than a spinning mass of gases, and that our lives are not destined to be lived in vain. So what we do is we keep repeating and creating and repeating stories that hold the promise of another world, another life. And a common feature of these fairy tales is that the enchanted world that we long for is not far away. You sprinkle pixie dust and you fly to Neverland. You step through the looking glass and instantly arrive in Wonderland. You walk through a forest and you stumble on a cottage with seven little guys and a young lady who just want to live happily ever after. And furthermore, fairy tales and Cartoons are not just stories about transformation of the world. They actually are about transformation of the central characters. Frogs become princes. Ugly ducklings become swans. Wooden marionettes become real boys. In today's society, of course, we're more prone to create kind of like cartoons and fantasy worlds. But they're really the same thing. The goal is the same, to be transformed from a life of mere existence to a life that has some kind of purpose and meaning. Unfortunately, oftentimes our stories in the world that we live in uh, don't read like a fairy tale. Uh, Butchner makes the point, and a very important point, that the gospel has much in common with fairy tales, with one important difference, and that, of course, is that the gospel is real and the fairy tales in our lives are not. You see, the Christian life, as we find in Jesus, is simply the story of the existence and availability of another dimension, another world. The good news of Christianity, we've been talking about this for some time now, is that there is a power beyond ourselves to live in another kingdom, and that kingdom is closer than people think. In fact, it is available, according to Jesus, right now to ordinary people like you and me. People who never thought of themselves as very religious or spiritual. And the same power that empowered Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is the same power that helps transform people into the person that God intends for them to be. Soren kirchgard very aptly put it with these words. He said, now with God's help, I shall become myself. Now with God's help, I shall become myself. You see, the desire for transformation lies very deep in the heart of every person. This is why people enter therapy. It is why they join health clubs. It's why they get into recovery groups and read self-help books. It's why they attend motivational seminars and make New Year's resolutions year after year. The possibility of transformation really is the essence of hope in our lives. Psychologist Aaron Beck says the single, most, uh, the single belief that is most toxic and detrimental to a relationship is the belief that the other person cannot change. Ask most marriage counselors and you will find that when one of the parties believes that the other person is incapable of changing, it almost always dooms that relationship. I'll take it a step further by saying that a single belief, and maybe the single most toxic belief to my life and your life, is that we cannot change, that we cannot be transformed. But I want you to know this morning, whether you believe it or not, Our stories are stories of transformation because all of us will not always be as we are now. Trust me, friends, the day is coming when you and I will be something incomparably better or worse than we are at this very moment. And the question that really confuses people in the Christian faith is how do I get from here to there? How do I transform into a better person or the person that God wants me to be? Having done this for a long time as a pastor, I don't think I've met one person yet who doesn't seem to be somewhat perplexed and confused and even frustrated at times about how they grow as a Christ follower. To some people, spiritual transformation is like some nebulous, kind of mysterious thing. To others, it is unreachable, unattainable. It's only for certain elite people. And still others kind of erroneously believe that they have cornered the market on it. (laughs) They've arrived. They've made it. And what's interesting is it's been my experience that people have this uncanny ability to deceive themselves about where they are in spiritual development. For example, let me say that, let me just ask you this morning, if I were to say to you where you think you are right now, are you a spiritual infant? Are you an adolescent? Are you a spiritual adult? What would be your answer? And again, We tend to place ourselves sometimes in places we don't belong. In other words, many times we kind of overestimate ourselves. Some of us think that we're adults when in fact we're not very mature at all. Others of us think that we're really immature and maybe we're actually an adolescent or an adult. It's very easy to fool ourselves. So what I'd like to do in these last few moments here today is I'd like to differentiate between fairy tale and fact. Between myth and reality. I just want to walk through, if I could, some myths about spiritual transformation. Things that people tend to believe, especially Christ followers, that in fact are not true at all. It is essential that we understand these if we need God's power to transform. Here's the first one. First one is this, that spiritual transformation is optional for Christ followers. Now this myth is very subtle, but it's very rampant. Large segments of the Christian community have spent years in kind of a condition of spiritual stagnation. And they don't seem to be concerned about it. These people kind of give long yawns coming from them. Followed by kind of that whole maybe I will or maybe I won't attitude. And if they decide at some point and they get a burst of spiritual energy, then they'll take a step or two toward growing. What I want you to know today is on the human side of this equation... We can look at spiritual growth as being kind of optional. But on the other side, on the kingdom side, God looks at it as being something very, very important. To God, spiritual growth and transformation is not optional. In fact, from God's perspective, it's natural. It's organic. It's not optional at all. From God's perspective, something is wrong is as if, a, is if as a Christ' follower, You're not growing in your relationship with God. Think about this as parents. We chart the weight of our babies. We chart how long they are, how tall they become, how much they weigh, how much they gain from day to day. And what I want you to know is God looks at his children and he looks at them and says, Are you growing? Are you moving toward Christ-likeness? Paul wrote about this to a church at Corinth. It had a lot of brand new Christ followers. And this is what he says to them. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger. And you still aren't ready for you're still controlled by your sinful desires. You're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your own desires? You're acting like people... Who don't belong to the Lord what Paul is saying is when you first decide to follow Jesus when you're born again when you come into that relationship it's understandable you start out at infancy Paul says I I taught you like you were infants and it's understandable I gave you spiritual milk I cut you a lot of slack that's what has to happen when you're young it's understandable but then he says you should have grown up by now You can't be a baby wearing diapers the rest of your life. You have to grow into adolescence and eventually into adulthood. And if you're still in spiritual infancy months and years down the road, something is wrong. Let me tell you one of the things that I think contributes to this, especially in the Christian walk. Too often people think about their spiritual lives as just one more aspect of their existence. And they kind of think of it separately from like their financial life and their recreational life and their vocational life and maybe even their family life. And periodically they will try to get their spiritual life together. And they'll try to be like more prayer time or more spiritual disciplines or going back to church. And it's kind of like the equivalent of going on a diet or trying to balance your budget. And what I want you to know is God looks at our life very differently than that. The term spiritual life is just really simply a way of referring to your life. Every moment, every facet of it. God does not divvy up your life into little pie pieces. Another way of saying this is God isn't interested in your spiritual life. God is just interested in your life, period. And what he wants is he wants to develop you into this wonderful masterpiece. Because according to God, the goal of human life is transformation. It is not just about making sure that you know where you're going to go when you die. Or achieving some more prosperous lifestyle. Or having lots and lots of information about the Bible. The first goal of spiritual life is reclaiming and redeeming the human race. So here's God's agenda for your life. He wants you to leave spiritual infancy. He wants you to become mature. Yes, knowledgeable but more importantly, stable, loving, and a devoted follower of Jesus. He wants you to mature to the point where he can entrust you with certain responsibilities. Think about this. If you're part of God's plan in his kingdom to redeem and restore the human race, his entire creation, he would not hand the keys of the car over to a five-year-old. You wouldn't do that, hopefully. And God is not going to hand over just strategic positions until you are mature enough to handle them. So here's the first one. Spiritual growth from God's perspective is not optional. Second myth. The second one has to do with spiritual transformation happens uniformly. By that I mean that everybody grows in the same way. Boy, if it were only that easy. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could have, let's say, Robbie. Robbie's a smart guy if Robbie could just put together a five-year spiritual growth plan for everybody in this church. And we would just say to you, listen, if everybody gets on board with this, if everybody will step up over the next five years, we're going to lead you through a spiritual growth plan. You're going to read 25 books. You're going to take about 10 seminars. You're going to do 500 hours of Christian service. You're going to join at least three different life groups during that time. Write a few term papers, and then at the end of this, if you fall in line and you do what we say, all of us are going to move from spiritual infancy from diaper-wearing to pants-wearing. Wouldn't that be awesome? That is a fairy tale. It does not work that way, and it doesn't work that way for a lot of reasons. Most Most of them you probably figured out. You can look around this room and see that people are wired differently. Different temperaments, different personalities. And it only stands to, uh, to, un- to be true or to uh, be uh, available to everyone that you have to do it in a different way. Some learn one way, some learn another. People are all in different stages of life. Some of you have different schedules, different pressures, different stresses in your life. If I've learned anything, it's that no single formula for spiritual transformation will serve everyone. That kind of amazes me sometimes how people grow. I know one guy, he reads about 50 books a year. 50 books a year. And because he does that, I see in him growth. Not just knowledge, but actually character transformation. It produces growth in him. I know another person, they regularly engage in acts of service, especially to the under-resourced, to the poor. They spend lots of their time and lots of their resources making sure people have clothing and food and shelter. And because of this, I've watched as their heart has just become so compassionate and generous over the years. And what I want you to know is there's no single formula for spiritual transformation. Philippians points this out. Work out your own salvation, the author says, in fear and trembling. And part of, what, part of what that command may mean is you have to figure out the basis based on who you are is how can you grow best? How can you follow Jesus best? You have to discover your own way. It's trial and experiment, trial and error. Over a long period of time, you may find uh, it takes months, maybe even years to really figure out what's the best combination. Some of you in this room, how many of you in this room like structure? You love structure. You kind of thrive on structure. I'm kind of a structured person. I tend to have a routine. But I've also learned that I can be so structured that I sometimes miss out on when God is trying to teach me something or when he says, hey, stop and just serve this person. So I have to be careful about too much structure. Others of you in this room get fired up and think you're going to become structured. And the truth of the matter is, is you can't even find your keys. (laughs) And you say to yourself, I'm going to be structured. I'm going to get on a schedule. I'm going to do that every day of my life. And you know what? It sucks the living life out of you. You go on autopilot. It becomes mechanical. There's nothing to it. Here's my advice to you. Ditch it. Don't do it. If it doesn't serve you well, don't do it. Some of you are in this room today. Uh, You're a morning person. You do a lot of growing in the morning. Some of you don't even know that there is a morning. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You're kind of night owls. You do growing at night. You do a lot of things that will help you at night. Find a time in the day when you function best and grow. Some of you have to determine in this room how much other people affect your growth. In other words, some of you grow really well in solitude, in isolation. You get to a place and sit down and you're studying or you're meditating or you're praying or you're reflecting and whatever that may be, listening to music, whatever it is, and you grow. Your heart becomes tender and pliable and God does something in you. You get creative. Others of you, you get to a lonely place. You sit down, and the next thing you know, you're on your phone browsing the Internet. You're up three times going to the refrigerator trying to, you know, find something to eat. You can't grow that way. You need other people in your life. You need to interact with them, bounce ideas off them, pray with them, discover who you are while you're around other people. So here's my question to you, and I don't want to embarrass anyone, so don't raise your hand. But if I ask you, if I said, what are the patterns, the activities, the relationships, the disciplines that help you grow, could you name any of them? So here's the last last thing again. When it comes to spiritual transformation, it does not happen uniformly for everyone. Experiment. Try. Fail. Try again. Find that combination that will let you move from spiritual infancy to adulthood. The third myth I want to talk about for a second is that spiritual transformation happens by focusing on external methods. Now, I personally believe that this third one is the kiss of death when it comes to growing as a Christ follower. Because the only thing worse than seeing spiritual transformation as optional and not pursuing it is that we end up pursuing it and changing in ways that leave us worse off than we were before. One author put it this way, the great danger that arises when we don't experience authentic transformation is that we settle for pseudo transformation. We know that as Christians we are called to come out and be separate, that our faith and spiritual commitment should make us different somehow, but if we are not marked by greater and greater amounts of love and joy, we will inevitably look for substitute ways of distinguishing ourselves from those who are not Christians. Now that was a mouthful, but let me explain it. This is a kind of deep pattern that is inescapable in religious people. If we do not become changed from the inside out, if we do not transform, we will be tempted to find external methods to satisfy our need to feel that we are different from those people outside our faith. In other words, if we can't be transformed, we will settle for being informed, conformed, or deformed. What this leads to is what the author calls pseudo transformation. And I want to say a word about this because this is a religious death trap. The answer involves what is called boundary markers or identity markers. Groups have a way of being very exclusive. And when you're on the inside of a group, you want to separate yourselves from the outsider. So what we do is we adopt boundary markers. Now, these are highly visible relatively superficial practices things like vocabulary and dress and style and diet and the purpose of this is to distinguish us between those inside the group and outside now just so we're clear exactly what i'm talking about here let me give you some examples and you kind of help me identify these groups okay let's imagine you're driving in an area of san francisco in the 1960s you come to a stoplight, and a volkswagen van pulls up next to you plastered with peace signs and make love not war bumper stickers. It's driven by a long haired tie dyed granny glass wearer and you immediately realize that you're driving next to what? Very good. A hippie. Now let's fast forward to the 80s. And let's say you're at a red light and you look over and you see a BMW with a driver wearing Gucci shoes, a Rolex watch, moose hair, and they're drinking a bottle of Perrier water. Anybody can remember back to the 80s? Who are you now sitting beside? Yuppie. Very good, a yuppie. How about this one? You're sitting at a traffic light, and a rather gruff fellow pulls up, and he's on a Harley Davidson motorcycle. He's dressed completely in black leather. He's got a skin ornamentation on his arm that reads mother, and a beverage of choice in his hand that is known for its great taste, less feeling quality. And it dawns on you that you're now right next to what? A biker. Okay. One more. You're in Starbucks, and you see a young guy ride up on his bike. And he walks in wearing a pair of skinny jeans, a t-shirt they bought from a thrift store, and a pair of old-school sneakers. They order an organic beverage, and they begin posting to Instagram via their iPhone 6. And it occurs to you that you're now sitting next to what? Hipster. Or half of Oasis, whichever the case may be. <laughs> now here's the deal this could go on and on and on but these groups have a way of distinguishing themselves from everybody else now here's what it has to do with spirituality and this is very important everything everything because even in the first century writings Rabbis would focus on things like circumcision and dietary laws and Sabbath keeping. And what's crazy is that no devout rabbi would ever have said that those things were at the heart of the law. They knew what was at the heart of the law. They knew the core passage you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Yet the boundary markers allowed church leaders to identify who was in and who was out, who were the sheep and who were the goats. And what it led to, here's what it led to, pride and judgmentalism. That is pseudo-transformation. Now listen, unless you think this is a first century church problem, (laughs) let me assure you, churches today are fighting this as much as anything. See, I grew up in a church, by all counts, a very good church. I'm deeply, deeply indebted for the support and nurturing in Christ that that first church that I grew up in provided me. But it also had boundary markers. For example, the senior pastors of our church could have been consumed with pride and arrogance. Now, for the most part, they weren't. But as long as the church wasn't struggling financially, as long as we had good services on Sunday, his job would never be in jeopardy. But if somebody discovered that he was smoking a pipe after lunch on Sunday, he would have been fired before the Sunday evening service. Now, why? No one would have said that smoking a pipe was a worse sin than a life consumed by pride, right? But for us, smoking a pipe was a boundary marker. I remember as a kid, never forget this, as long as I live, it just sticks in my mind. I had the teenagers, my buddies, my friends come over to our house because we had a swimming pool. And one night after church, we all went to my house to go swimming. And one of the guys in our church got so upset when he heard about this that he actually came to our house and he gave us a little sermonette. He kind of blessed us out because there were boys and girls swimming together at the same time. We called it bathing together. So we listened to him and we were patient with him. And then we baptized him again. What was it? It was a boundary marker. I just read the other day about a religious institution again, they still have a rule against students performing jazz music. This has been in effect since the early 20th century. Listen, and no one will change this even though they know it's a stupid rule. And the, and the students can listen to punk rock or heavy metal or rap, but Louis Armstrong and Kenny G are just off limits. <laughs> listen, you know what I'm talking about here, whether you grew up Catholic Protestant or no church background at all you know what I'm talking about here and the point I want to make is that this approach to spiritual transformation is diametrically opposed to what Jesus lived and taught Jesus brought a message that spoke to the deepest longings of the human heart to be transformed into new creatures so instead of focusing on the boundary markers Jesus focused on the center the heart of spiritual life he says, do you love God and do you love other people who matter to God? This is why religious leaders fought with Jesus all the time. Things like circumcision and dietary laws on the Sabbath. And Jesus kept going back to the center, always to the center. He said, keep moving to the center of what is the condition of your heart. See, Jesus, if you take the fairy tale analogy, wouldn't be concerned about what Alice was wearing as much as how she felt about herself when she peered into that looking glass. He wouldn't be concerned about the degree the dwarfs were vertically challenged as he would about the condition of old Grumpy's heart. He wouldn't be concerned about whether Pinocchio was wooden or real as much as he would for his propensity to lie all the time. Jesus isn't concerned about the external components of your life, friends, but he is woefully concerned about the condition of your heart. So he says, stay focused on the center. Here's the last one, and we'll close with this myth number four. Simply says this that spiritual growth, spiritual transformation, is easy for some, but impossible for others. There's a lot of people who feel like spiritual transformation is just a walk in the park for some people, and for others, it's like walking on hot coals. I want to tell you, I don't think spiritual transformation. It's too hard for some people, but I think it can be hard. For those of you who have an easy time with it, just write a book. You'll sell a gazillion copies. Listen to how Paul talks about this. He says, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin? And what Paul is basically saying is there is a fight. There is a battle between the old value system in my life, the law of the jungle, and the new value system, the law of love, the law of the Lord. And Paul's saying it's not going to be easy. One of the reasons it's not easy is because there's a lot of people around us who aren't committed to it at all. Sometimes it may seem that way but oftentimes we feel alone. Another reason is because it involves change, and I'm not talking about surface level, superficial kinds of change. I'm talking about change that is deep. It's the inner kind of change that requires you to let go of certain patterns. It's the kind of change that causes you to rethink lifelong values and tightly held convictions in your life. Spiritual transformation often requires leaps of faith, which makes the very timid among us very nervous. Sometimes spiritual transformation means you have to part with something that has too much of a grip on your soul, something that consistently occupies too much of your thought time, something that draws your attention and affection away from God. I want to tell you something when you let go of something or someone you love in order to grow, it is agonizing. But I want you to know that as challenging as it is, it is not impossible. I want to say to you today, don't get discouraged in this room. I know it seems impossible at times. I know it seems that sometimes you pray for strength and you keep on struggling. I know that sometimes you ask for temptations to be taken away and they don't seem to be removed. I know that seen, it seems like the testing is unfair at times. I know it seems like that God's standards are too high and that the expectations are unrealistic. And sometimes you feel like everyone around you is growing like a wildfire and you're the only one struggling. There may be even some people in this room who have just kind of given up. And you haven't said it outwardly. You haven't spoken it. But you've tried and you've failed and you've tried and you've failed and you've tried. And you've, tried and you've just said, you know what? I'm not trying anymore. So you come to services and you say a few hurried prayers. And you keep your clean, nose clean morally. And you throw a few dollars in the offering box. But the truth is you're in a spiritual no-man's land. You want people to know that you're a Christian but the truth is you kind of gave up growing a long time ago. Because I want you to listen to me as we close here. Spiritual transformation may not be easy but it's not impossible. God has never expected you to grow alone. And in a dozen different places in Scripture God demonstrates a desire, a sincere desire to come alongside you and to give you the power and the strength and the enablement to continue towards spiritual maturity. One of my life verses is Philippians 1, 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, we look at this picture and we see one thing and you see something totally different. What you see is potential and promise. What we sometimes see is the mistakes in the past and where we need to be better and what we did wrong. We sometimes look on the external things, the outside. But you go straight to the heart and you penetrate to the very soul and you say, the kind of person I see is the one becoming more like my son Jesus. So today... May we kick aside these four myths. May we kick aside the fact that we have to do it like everybody else does it. Kick aside the fact that we want to focus on external stuff, boundary markers that just kind of lead to pseudo-transformation. May we kick aside this notion that it's optional and doesn't matter. And may we certainly kick aside the fact that it's impossible. And it's only easy for some people. Will you speak to us in this moment? It changes from the inside out. I ask that in Jesus' name.